Um, then a client came to me and said, hey, I would really like to get booked on a TEDx stage. Do you think you could maybe do this project with me? And I said, well, no guarantees. I mean, TEDx, you know, famous people give TEDx's. <laughs> and, you know, and that was all I knew about it. I knew that, like, you know, I listened to TED Talks online sometimes. Um, I said, no promises. And he said, okay, let's, let's try for a month. And within that month, he got booked for two. so much for joining us for another episode we've got a great one in store for you in case you happen to miss the last episode here's a quick snippet and then we will get on to the show money comes to you at right angles you uh go after your passion and the money will will come to you at right angles he, he, he used an, uh, a story of the bee the honeybee is going to collect uh honey but while he's doing that he's pollinating flowers and plants that have been growing just as an accident or as secondary, let's say. And that's what, that's the way an artist kind of lives their life. They follow their passion. You'll hear it all the time. And it's, by the way, your parents, our parents never told us to go, you know, what our parents told us to do is go make money, go make money, go make money, can go make more money. They never, very few parents say, go be happy. My parents had a piano and so I took lessons as a kid and you know, I, I, I loved it, um, you know, and as I was getting ready to go to college, um, you know, really thinking about what I wanted to do in my life, there was sort of nothing else I, I could really see myself being happy with than music, okay. um, you know, which, you know, I, 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 um, I graduated high school early, so I was 16, and, you know, 16-year-old, you, you ask them what they want to be in life, they're not necessarily going to give you the answer that actually comes true right but um i was really lucky and i was really focused about it and you know I, I i stayed in music school um throughout my undergrad and graduate degree um i taught music for, uh, afterward and i also worked as a full-time musician um and i had a really great career um you know like being a successful musician the reality of it is that very often you could be really successful and like, you know, I was playing at Carnegie Hall, but you could also, you know, not be earning very much, you know, and, and the realities of being a musician is a lot of people gig, a lot of people just have to take the jobs that come, they might pay 50 bucks, they might not pay anything, you know, so everybody's kind of tired, everybody's hustling, it's, it's kind of, you know, that's, that's really the culture of the start, the starving artist. Um, and so, I was doing all that and I was, you know, teaching on the side and taking any odd job I, I could and needed to, um, to make ends meet. And um, I just turned 30 and a friend of mine who's in the business field and in the thought leadership field said to me, I have an idea, quit your job. And I said, what? <laughs> um, and, and she actually had a really good plan for me. She said, you know, you're, um, you're not happy. Why don't you try virtual assisting? And then you'll have that, it's flexible you know, um, I, 
and I tried it and I really liked it. And at first it was in service of my art, but then as, as I got busier, um, I moved, people started coming to me for certain things. Um, so I sort of moved into, into the consulting model and I realized that, you know, the stuff that I do now makes me really happy. So I get to only take the, the jobs, the music jobs that I really want to now. Cool. What, and what makes you most happy about it? When you think about it, when you think about it, what, what is it that really makes you really happy about it? Um, well, for my day-to-day work, it's, it's creative. It's exciting. I love the people that I work with. I absolutely love them. I believe in their thought leadership and, you know, I believe in creating content with, with them alongside them and also, you know, in some cases for them. Um, and, you know, just like being, in the trenches with, with their brilliance every day is really wonderful. That's, that's really interesting. So kind of what I'm hearing here a lot of is the creative, the creative outlet. Mm-hmm. And I almost wanted to really kind of ask too about sort of what, what you found that you were passionate about with, with music. I know I liked, I, I really was drawn to philosophy and psychology and writing. Mm-hmm. And I like to be able to create from, from that respect. Yeah. And I know there's certain things with that. So um, it almost seems like entrepreneurship there's a huge creative aspect to it. And so it sounds like there, there would be some interesting connection there with the creation. Yeah. And the truth is, you know, um, we're, we're not taught entrepreneurship in music school, but to have a successful career as a musician these days, you absolutely have to be an entrepreneur. You know, you have to raise money, you have to bootstrap, you have to, you know, hire people, you have to, um, write, write grants. There's all these different things. So, entrepreneurship was kind of in my blood. So I, I was really lucky in that sense. Well, so, so in this case, for moving over to virtual assistant, so you, you kind of moved into that, into that space, you really liked it. And you noticed that work started to come to you or that certain types of work started to come to you. So this attractive, uh, attractive part of that uh, business and what you were doing, what, what was it that you think was starting to attract more opportunities to you as you were doing that? Um, well, it's, an, uh, it's funny because they kind of happen simultaneously. Um, one was social media, and part of it was because I was doing, I was experiencing it because I was already doing my own social media for my performances. Um, and in doing that, I kind of learned best practices on my own. Um, so I learned by working with a social media firm for a while, um, an online social media firm, in the meantime, clients were coming to me to get booked on podcasts. So, and this was, you know, three years ago now, and podcasts really started to become um, a really great tool for businesses um, and for thought leadership. And um, then a client came to me and said, hey, I would really like to get booked on a TEDx stage. Do you think you could maybe do this project with me? And I said, well, no guarantees. I mean, TEDx, you know, famous people give TEDxes <laughs> and, you know, and that was all I knew about it. I knew that like, you know, I listened to TED talks online sometimes. Um, I said, no promises. And he said, okay, let's, let's try for a month. And within that month he got booked for two. So more people started coming to me for that. And so um, all in all, my, my, my business is very referral based. That's great. Well, so tell us, so how do you get booked on a TEDx? How do you get booked to do TED? Yeah, so um, TEDx is great because it's independently organized TED 
style events, um, which means that anybody can create one. You can apply for the license. TED is very, very rigorous about their rules. So, you know, it's gotta be under 18 minutes, no pushing a, a religious or, um, or political agenda, no selling from the stage. Um, there are lots of other rules to go along with that, but a university student could, could start one or, you know, you could start one or I could start one. So reaching out to a TEDx organizer is actually very, very easy. Go to LinkedIn, you know, you, there's a TEDx events website, you find the uh, organizer's name, go to LinkedIn, go to Facebook, email them, uh, find a way to contact them. And it's really just about casting a wide net. Um, the great thing about TEDx is, is as long as there is a good video, it really doesn't matter where you do it. So, for example, I did two of them. One of them was in Boston. The other one was in Pensacola, Florida, in like a really rural area of Florida, you know, but it doesn't matter. It was a really great experience. I got a really great video out of it. And that's my calling card now. You know, when people think about, you know, should I work with you? I just point them to my TEDx video. That is pretty cool. So it's, would you say that that's social proof? Is that kind of what you would group that under as, as kind of the benefits of that? Yeah. And that's the reason to do a TEDx. It's, it's an investment. You can't get paid for it. Um, you'll probably spend a lot of money traveling there and you know, all that stuff. You, you'll, you may have to hire a speaker coach. Um, if they don't provide you with a speaker coach and you're not a professional speaker, my advice is bite the bullet and hire a speaker coach. But TEDx is really the best um, form of social proof there is because it's like a book, except people are more likely to watch your 15 minute TED, TEDx video than they are to actually sit down and read your book. Yeah, I, I definitely would agree with that as I kind of see somebody and if I see that they have TEDx in their background or I see I can look up on YouTube, for sure it's another level of credibility. Absolutely, absolutely. You know, and um, I will say this, this was for me, um, but I don't know if everybody has this experience, but the month that I did my, my talks, um, I got an increase in, in revenue. I saw an increase in clients. People started coming to me because I had leveraged it on social media. So it really is a good thing to do. That's awesome. That's awesome. So tell us, you know, you mentioned this being booked on a podcast is a great business development tool. Uh, that's something that I've come to learn, but I think a lot of people that are listening, right, or a lot of people that may come across this in the future, people that are in business, just like they don't understand social media and how what the ROI is, to wrap your head around the business development, the networking, and the content creation of a podcast, I think a lot of people don't kind of get. Can you talk to us more about why it's so effective? Sure, and um, one of the things that I – really love about podcasts and social media is that they actually really go hand in hand really nicely. Um, and that's because podcasts are a form of content. Um, and not everybody likes to blog, not everybody likes to read blogs. So podcasts are another way of um, being able to get your ideas out there. You know, some people are better at speaking than others. So being on a podcast is really about having a great conversation. And and on top of that, once you have that conversation, like we're having this conversation now, your contacts don't already know me for the most part. So now they've heard of me, they've heard my ideas. If they want, they can go and follow me on LinkedIn, on Facebook, on Twitter, et cetera, and become a part of my audience as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. One of the one of the bigger uh, motivators that I had, or one of the bigger sort of examples that just lit a light bulb in my head was listening to somebody on a podcast that explained how they built their business. I looked them up on Facebook, looked them up on LinkedIn. They took me to a webinar. I took seven pages of notes. It blew my mind and I never met this person and they got me to a thousand dollar point of sale on top of that. And so just phenomenal, but, um, but absolutely. Um, great. Now, so for social media, you mentioned best practices. So what types of best practices come to mind for you when you're thinking of a, you know, a business owner, an entrepreneur to try to leverage what's available to them? Sure. So uh, nowadays, everybody's a brand. Um, so consistency is really important. Um, so post every day, even if it feels like a lot, um, post every day and really it's important to understand um, that the reason for that is because you want the algorithms to work in your favor. And on virtually every social media platform, with the exception of Instagram, because you can post whenever you want on Instagram and the hashtags kind of dictate the algorithm. Um, For most of the social media platforms, if you're posting, if you're not posting regularly, the algorithm does not favor you. So if you post once a month, nobody is going to see it, you know, and it's going to be, have been a waste of your time. You're going to feel like, oh, I'm not in social media. If you post regularly for, you know, and I'm talking about Monday through Friday, once a day, or maybe more if you have a bigger following, um, in a couple of weeks, you will start to see engagement. You will start to hear from people. And the first step is, oh, wow, you're, doing, you're up to really cool stuff. So once you hear that, you know that's the first step. Then once they start to see you and they start to trust you and trust what you're putting online, um, then that's the next step because now you're starting to build social proof, right? And engagement is a form of social proof because if people see that others are engaging, they're more more likely to engage. And so the key being engagement, to be able to create the engagement. Any thoughts for, for strategy for once people create that engagement to be able to convert that into business? Yeah, absolutely. So everybody's different. Um, you know, for, for some reason, and, and I find this, the more experience that I have, the more I, I find that everybody's situation is different. Everybody's audience looks different. So certain things might work for others. For instance, um, I, I, I work with somebody, I've been working with him for almost two years now he's just got like close to 80,000 LinkedIn followers and it's, it's growing all the time. And then his Twitter is like a fraction of that and it does okay. But compared to the LinkedIn, for some reason, LinkedIn is on fire. So we, we concentrate there. Right. So um, everybody's different. Do what works for you. If for some reason a platform isn't working, don't sweat it, just go to the ones that are working and, and sort of you know, hone the audience there and experiment and see what they like. Um, when you are starting to sell, so for example, with a book, um, start way before the, you, you even announce the book. You know, um, start with, I have this idea, I wanna write a book, right? Who's written a book? Then start posting content about the kinds of books that you want to write. For example, if you want to interview a thought leader, post about their content and start to get their attention online. Then 
when you're, for example, um, choosing a book cover, even if you have the book cover already chosen, put three options online and say, hey guys, what do you think? Stealth, you know, it's, it's a way of build, like kind of stealthily talking about your product, but making people feel like they're involved in it. And for every post that you make about your book or your product, there should be one post that's not about that. Not about you. Okay. That sounds, that sounds good. And so now your, your primary focus, if you, you would say, so the, what would you say your primary focus is with all the work that you do at the moment? What are you primarily focused on? Um, for me, it's, um, for myself, my, my own thought leadership and my own work right now, I'm, fo I'm focusing on blogging. Um, because I recently grew my LinkedIn following and I'm working on that for my clients. Um, it kind of changes all the time just because people's needs change. So, um, social media is pretty much the mainstay and then, you know, people sort of come and go on the podcast and the, and the TEDx as they need to. Okay. So just in, in general, if we were looking at, um, do you have any particular, um, segments of people that you're really kind of focused on helping the most? Is there anything that's more niched or more focused or you're more tailored to be helping? Um, well, my avatar is changing all the time. It's really funny because, you know, six months ago I would have said, oh, my, my focus is, um, thought leaders and executives and CEOs and executive coaches and advisors and that sort of thing. Um, you know, people with business books. Um, but in the past six months, I started working with two music organizations. And so that's also another like sub avatar of people that I work with is like, you know, music professionals, um, orchestras, institutions like that. So it, it kind of changes <laughs> so over time all the time. Okay. Well, well tell me that I, there's two thoughts that I have. One, I would really love for you to share a little more about this avatar concept and like break that down maybe more, but outside of that. So then for these, the, the shift that happened there from going from sort of one avatar to the other, um, there is a system and a process to that. And mm -hmm. there's probably a couple of things that you may be able to share that would say, okay, how did you go from there? what were some of the steps that then took you into relationship with some other people that brought up this other opportunity and how you then also said, well, I could help you with this. And then it turned into business. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so um, what I mean when I say avatar is ideal client, you know, ideal client profile. So, and that can get as detailed as saying, you know, John is, a retired executive and he's now starting to executive coach and he works with fortune 500 companies. He probably has two kids. He's probably, you know, been married and divorced or something, you know, like you can really get that clear, um, on who your ideal client is. Um, but for me, it, it kind of, my avatar developed over time because I'm referral based. And so people would show up and, they might be somebody that I had never considered working with, but they, they ended up be becoming my ideal client, you know? Um, so avatars can change and that's okay. Um, and the reason my avatar has changed over time is because of this, like these new relationships I was creating. Some of them, by the way, were old relationships that suddenly became client relationships. Like I'll give you an example. Um, couple of months ago, a friend of mine who I had met at a music festival in 2011. So I was like a baby, <laughs> I was like 24 or something like that. Um, 
20, 25, 26, something like that. Um, she and I had met for a couple weeks. Uh, you know, we, we played together. We, we had a great time. She went home. We, uh, we, we were in Italy. We both went home. She lived in another state. We kind of kept in touch. Like when she would come here, we'd hang out, but you know, once every two years, maybe. And uh, she wrote me on Facebook and she said, listen, I'm working with this orchestra. We really need a social media manager, you know, and that was last November. So that's a seven year relationship that that person was my friend and like, you know, kind of just an acquaintance, but, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a distant friend at, at that, but you never know where your client relationships are going to come from. Yeah, absolutely. I, for anybody that's listening too, I hope they can really think about really the relationship building aspect on social media. It's not a place to post and advertise to people. It's to build that relationship. If you do that, that's the cornerstone of all business and, and everything. Absolutely. So that's great. Um, one, one last question here for pricing and for sort of going about constructing your offering. That I think is a real challenging thing for a lot of people that are stepping off to do their own thing. And they may find trouble in booking or in structuring, getting people to say yes, getting objections. How have you found success in structuring your offering? Uh, what advice would you give to somebody else that maybe is trying to figure that out or is not having as much success in closing? What, what, what thoughts would you have on that that might be helpful? charge more than you think you're worth. You know, um, I, I was very lucky. I had a friend who was an experienced consultant and I said, what do you think I'm, I should charge? And the first time she told me what I should charge, I was like, you know, <laughs> what, you know, and now it's, it's a point of, you know, like I, I can, I can say my prices and I'm confident about it. And, you know, it's really uh, the first couple of conversations that I had, I was faking that confidence and being like, sure, it's, it's X amount of dollars. And, that's what I charge, you know, um, and that comes with time. So it's really getting comfortable with a number that is higher than you think. Cool. Cool. So what, uh, going forward, uh, what are you, anything in particular that you're kind of excited about working on going forward or that's a next step for you or project? So what, what else is going on with you going forward? Um, I'm writing. I'm still, I have two books out there. Um, one is on social media and one is on TEDx. Um, and I'm, so I'm writing and creating more thought leadership. I'm blogging. Um, I will be speaking in New York in, in May, and I'd like to give some more TEDx talks. And, you know, when, when the idea and the, and the inspiration strikes and, um, and that sort of thing. So aside from working, I'm looking to expand my own thought leadership. Oh, very good. All right. Well, great. Well, uh, at this point, I think we really covered a lot. I think there's a lot of value in what, what you shared. So, you know, thank you very much uh, for, you know, for your time today and for sharing your experience here with our, you know, with our, our listeners. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. All right. Great. Okay. All right, Marie. Well, if, if people want to connect with you and they want to either get help with thought leadership, selling more books, booking TED, TED Talks, talking about social media, um, or production, maybe just talking music, <laughs> what would be the, what's the best way for them to connect with you and to, to be connected with you? Sure. And I love talking about music, by the way. So that's, that's like, <laughs> it's a good point. Um, my website is incontrera.com, I-N-C-O-N-T-R-E-R-A.com. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me. Um, I'm very active on LinkedIn. So it, that's probably the best way to find me on social media. Um, 
also Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Um, my email is marie.incontrera at gmail.com. Great. And actually, I have one last question to round it up because I love LinkedIn too. So LinkedIn is awesome. So you're really active on LinkedIn. What seems to work for you? Why LinkedIn? And what are you doing on LinkedIn that's, that's really working? What would somebody that's not really leveraging LinkedIn to get business yet or build mm -hmm. relationships, what do they need to know? Go on LinkedIn. That's, <laughs> I mean, what, what I found is that since I started social media work until now, LinkedIn has really exploded. You know, when I first started, it was really not a, a social platform. And then all of a sudden it became like Facebook um, in that you post and the algorithm really works in your favor if you post a lot and people are really engaging and, you know, there's lots of analytics so you can see how many people are viewing your post and as opposed to how many people are engaging. Um, the algorithm on LinkedIn works really well if you're adding people. So, you know, actively adding the kinds of connections you want. Uh, so for example, you know, I, I connect with a lot of podcast hosts, which I believe is how you and I met, right? Um, because I was looking for podcast opportunities for my clients. Um, so we connected and now, and like also CEOs and authors and that sort of thing, um, now people add me with those titles because LinkedIn knows that that's who I want to connect with. And because so many people are connecting with me at this point, um, LinkedIn knows that I'm going to accept their connections or they know that I'm going to at least consider it. So they put me high up in the, my network. Very good. Very good. That's awesome. We could, we could probably talk all day on uh, LinkedIn and <laughs> I could talk all day on music on other aspects too. You really, you really light it up when we start talking about music, actually. That's really cool. All right. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. Thank you so much, Marie. So we'll, uh, we'll be in touch and yeah, have a, have a great, uh, have a great day. Thank you so much. You too. All right. Bye-bye. This episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Mastery, where entrepreneurs go to network and learn how to attract their ideal clients via LinkedIn and broker powerful connections worldwide. Be sure to visit us at LinkedIn Mastery on Facebook. Be sure to replace the Y with three E's and join us at LinkedIn Mastery. Enjoy this sneak peek of the upcoming episode, and if you like what you've heard, be sure to subscribe so you get first notification of all upcoming episodes. And if you really like us and you want to help more people hear us, be sure to write a review, a five-star review, and let everybody know how Errol helps entrepreneurs. I used to own a brick and mortar business for five years and the first year it was amazing. I'm like, I'm getting paid to do what I love. This is awesome. But the specific business that I, I had, I was fortunate enough to have it grow at a really rapid rate. And so year two and three, I wind up becoming burnt out. And so I pretty much was like a slave to my business. Like I was, my business was running me and I wasn't running it. And so I had to get really honest with myself because I, I felt myself not happy. I was burnt out. I, my health wasn't like, I wasn't taking care of myself and just, I wasn't in a good place. Like the business was thriving, but me personally, I wasn't in a good place. Enjoy this sneak peek of the upcoming episode. And if you like what you've heard, 
be sure to subscribe so you get first notification of all upcoming episodes. And if you really like us and you want to help more people hear us, be sure to write a review, a five-star review, and let everybody know how Errol helps entrepreneurs. My long story short, I had my first business. I was in the fitness and wellness industry for about 17 years. And I was really good at that. Um, but what I found is I was not good at business, meaning I, I didn't have the tools and the resources to really run a business. Um, and then on the personal end of things, just due to my personal life kind of falling apart, going through a divorce with an infant and a three-year-old. Um, so I really, when I say I lost everything, I lost everything. And that was just a huge shift. And it's one of those pivotal moments where you decide to go get a nine to five and do your thing. And I thought, I don't want to do that. I don't want to drop my kids off at six in the morning and pick them up at six at night, and never see them and work a nine to five job that doesn't cover the bills. And so I struggled for a while and, you know, to figure out what I was doing, I came up with a Phoenix factor um, because people kept telling me I was a Phoenix, that I was able to reinvent myself. And I wanted to share that process.